politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow patriots, law-abiding American citizens, and all-around patriotic Americans to this, the one and only Conservative Review podcast here at Conservative Review's Northern Command, powered by Blaze Media. And it is Wednesday, October 16th. And obviously, if it's Wednesday, well, everyone's going to be talking about the Democrat debate last night because Republicans and conservative media don't seem to have anything to talk about with regard to its own party, its own supposed agenda. So the only thing that gets them animated is discussing the Democrats. Um, Here's the problem. We need a GOP debate. We need a Republican debate. And I don't just mean at a presidential level, Trump or anyone who would run against him. I mean, what is it the Republican Party stands for? What is it that the so-called conservative movement stands for? We're going to do this a little different than anyone else is going to do it because we're going to discuss the Democrat debate without really discussing the Democrat debate. Because frankly, as always, to be honest with you, I don't listen to it. I don't watch it. Um, I'll read a couple of uh, things on the backside of it, uh, reporting on a couple of events. But (laughs) there's one important, I would say, event that happened last night that ironically won't be picked up by any other conservative or supposed conservative, but it is more important than anything else. To me, this is the most important news to talk to. You know, we got two days of news. I've been, been, uh, you know, I was out yesterday and we we missed a show. Lots of things to go over. But to me, if I had to convey one thing to you, it is an email sent out by the Republican National Committee last night at 9.57 p.m. Eastern time um, during the Democrat debate. Because it sadly reflects the fact that the Republican Party in this day and age, in 2019, is to the left of where the Democrat Party was on a seminal issue just last decade. And that's the issue of crime, as you well know. It all gets back to safety of your neighborhoods. That's the most important issue that people care about, that always has been. And sometimes I got to like pinch myself here. Am I living in the real world? Um, as you could see, I mean, I'm getting some gray hairs here, but I'm still kind of young. But somehow I'm old enough to have lived through a cycle where it was once the holy grail of politics to be tough on crime, where Republicans slaughter Democrats on that issue for several decades, where it resulted in one of the most positive social trends in this country the you know 25 year long reduction in crime and you know it it was it was really led by new york city it was notorious um for uh rudy giuliani that's what he was known for whether you loved him hated him everyone understood his policing tactics sentencing um that's what really turned the corner in new york and now those very things in New York, in California, and in, in red states too, are being reversed 
And we are literally back to the 80s with the crime wave. Now, that is surprising enough. But what's even more surprising is the fact that whereas back then Republicans would have been, hey, you Democrats are doing what? You're you're letting out criminals. They would just bombard them with endless media and ads accentuating and exposing the radicalism of their pro-criminal agenda. Now, what do we have? A Republican Party that sends out emails hitting Democrats for being, for once having been too tough on crime. It's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. Republicans are now running to the left of alt-left Democrats on crime. This was sent out by Stephen Guest, who's the head of uh, the communications and research uh, um, team at the rapid response team at the Republican National Committee, the RNC, 9.57 p.m. last night. Um, the title of the email is, I'm just looking here, Kamala Harris, uh, RNC reality check, Kamala Harris's record on criminal justice. Kamala Harris didn't tell the full story about her record on criminal justice during tonight's debate. Reminder, Harris fought to keep inmates locked up in overcrowded prisons. She fought to kill Proposition 19, a measure that would have legalized marijuana. As California AG, she jailed thousands on marijuana charges. As California AG, she defended capital punishment. She championed the law that put the parents of of, of, of truant kids in jail, but as a candidate for president, she has been caught trying to cover up her record on truancy. As San Francisco DA, she called the decriminalization of prostitution completely ridiculous. She made increasing bail costs a priority. She boasted that she nearly tripled the number of misdemeanor cases taken to trial. So now, now I understand there's an element that they're trying to show hypocrisy. She's flip-flopping, but... What you would send out an email for is against Kamala and really against every single Democrat candidate that California's prison population is plummeting 22% since 2011, as the population has grown 6%, by the way. Crime is up. Property crimes are up. Gun felons are never locked out up even after repeat offenses while they have the strictest gun laws, 15 new gun laws against peaceful law abiding citizens. America, Democrats want all of America to be California. Sanctuaries for MS-13. The Central Valley of California is just completely, completely taken over by MS-13. Drugs, crime, homelessness going hand in hand. It's coming back. What we saw in the 70s and 80s, what we thought we got rid of in the 90s, is coming back. You would think Republicans would rip them to shreds. Folks, I want you to listen to the famous Willie Horton ad, 1988. Three decades ago, this is how Republicans ran for office. Take a listen. Bush and Dukakis on crime. Bush supports the death penalty for first-degree murderers. Dukakis not only opposes the death penalty, he allowed first-degree murderers to have weekend passes from prison. 
One was Willie Horton, who murdered a boy in a robbery, stabbing him 19 times. Despite a life sentence, Horton received 10 weekend passes from prison. Horton fled, kidnapped a young couple, stabbing the man and repeatedly raping his girlfriend. Weekend prison passes. Dukakis on crime. That's what it was. They want to let out violent criminals? We want to lock them up. Bold contrast. That was George H.W. Bush. That's how establishment Republicans, Rockefeller Republicans were like that back then. Now, 30 years later, Republicans are sending out an email blast against a California Democrat at a time when California's crime is out of control. Illegal alien crime, American crime. No one's being locked up. Everyone's, they abolish bail for so many things. And they're saying, hey, you're locking up too many people on bail, going after too many misdemeanors, which I'm going to discuss in a minute. Everyone knows that that's the gateway into broken windows policing. You go after all that stuff and you preempt the worst crimes. What is wrong with these people? I mean, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, how I'm supposed to come before you and discuss anything else when I see this. I can't worry about the Democrats if Republicans are trying to outleft the Democrats on, on a seminal issue, which, I mean, if they were to crush Democrats on this issue and bombard them with ads, I don't care what scandal Trump has, he'd win re-election. They're stupid politically, aside from being morally and intellectually bankrupt. This is how far this phony conservative movement has allowed the Democrat Party to move without a check and balance. Why do you think the Democrats fear nothing? Because Republicans agree with them on this issue. Let's unpack this one by one. Let's travel from California to New York City first, um, just to get a flavor of what's going on. So we've reported recently, there were crazy, this crazy rape story of this guy let out, violating his parole left and right. And he was let out and he goes and burglarizes a woman inside her home and, and says, either I kill you, you engage in incest with your son, he was home at the time, or, um, I, uh, or, or I rape you. And uh, she chose the latter, um, allegedly, and that's, that, that's what happened there. Um, we, we reported on just last weekend with uh, Randy Santos, he was arrested for brutally murdering four homeless folks with uh, like, like a metal pipe. And he had 14 prior arrests, four violent arrests this year for violent charges. He wasn't locked up. Because what is starting to happen now, as we noted, aside from jailbreak of reducing sentencing, um, opting for parole instead of sentencing, even when they violate their parole, they're not reincarcerated. There's also the problem of pretrial bail, where often it takes several years to dispose of these cases. So what they're doing now is so it's like you could catch the most violent guy around. So let's say you would lock him up for five, 10 years, not as long as they should be locked up, but well, like, you know, they would lock them up five, 10 years, but they're let out with very little or no bail and they uh they go in and reoffend and this is a huge problem it's a problem in every major city now 
But basically, this guy in New York, this guy, um, Tony Johnson, he was a Folk Nation gang member, very violent. He was arrested on 34 criminal charges, including armed robbery and assault um, on, in, in, in March, earlier this year. Prosecutors asked for $225,000 bail, according to the New York Post, that um, I want to give them credit. They've done a good job actually reporting on this, one of, the first, one of the few outlets doing this. But at the March 5th arraignment, Judge Craig Walker agreed to release him on 6,000 bonds. So this guy's mother bonded him out. And basically, a couple months later, September 15th, he robbed a male, severely beat a female victim in separate incidents, um, he stole another person's cell phone in a mugging. And then on October 8th, he, he and he was caught a couple days ago. On October 8th, he was uh, accused of kidnapping and raping a 12-year-old girl in a basement of one of these project homes in, um, in Brooklyn. And the funny thing is, even now, he's only being held on 105,000 cash bond. Um which often you only have to post a fraction of that. So we'll see if he still gets out. I mean, it's not like, okay, like, man, we really, it's embarrassing for our system. Okay, now we're going to really lock him up. on No, 12-year-old girl, because he was out. Um, non-violent, uh, uh, we, we lock up too many non-violent offenders. I mean, this is the garbage that my colleagues, my colleagues buy into this. I'm the only one who doesn't. One of the only ones. The American Conservative Union is saying it's a moral issue that conservatives need to own jailbreak. They need to drag race the left to the gates of hell and anarchy in abolishing prisons. But this is a big, they call it bail reform. It's one of the evil tentacles of criminal justice reform. So this guy gets out. Um, New York Post is, has, has terrific coverage of this. But this is a growing, growing problem, growing problem that nobody is serving any time. They're all out. I want to read to you, and I think I referenced this, and I know some of you have been emailing me about this. There was a mass shooting, a mass shooting that we don't seem to hear about. It's a little bit bizarre. You know, the media is very into mass shootings. Democrats, you know, they want to push mass shootings. There was a shooting inside a tequila, like Mexican bar in Kansas City, the same weekend that um, this this punk in New York City, well, whatever his name was, uh, Santos. Uh, by the way, uh, great addition to our society from um, Dominican Republic, uh, a recent arrival. The the same weekend that he killed four homeless people in New York City in Chinatown with a uh, metal pipe well in kansas city there are two suspects one was caught one is still at large that are accused of shooting up a mexican bar and here you got hispanic victims and again to you and i it doesn't matter you know law and order public safety death tragedy doesn't matter the race but the media and the democrats are obsessed so you think hispanic victims right like in el paso they'd be all over this a mass shooting a guy comes inside of a bar you know, shoots people up. Well, obviously, the um, the names of the suspects are Hugo Villanova Morales and uh, what's this other guy's name? Um, Alatore. 
yeah, his name is Alatore. Uh, I can't pronounce it properly. I'm really bad at that. Javier Alatore. Um, these guys were um, accused. So right away, you know, given who they are, it doesn't fit the narrative. But who are these two? I mean, this is a big deal. This is a mass shooting for Hispanics who were killed. And this is from AP. Two convicted felons facing criminal charges over a Kansas bar shooting that killed four people and wounded five others had previous brushes with the law that could have kept them behind bars had judges and other officials made different decisions. And they go on to say that basically... um, Hugo Villanova Morales, 29, had been caught with synthetic marijuana during a stretch of more than four years in state prison for robbery and had been released by the time he was sentenced for trafficking contraband. The judge could have sent him back to prison for nine years, but instead put him on three years probation. Villanova Morales violated probation by testing positive for marijuana use in September. Like it was like two weeks before the shooting and agreed to serve two days in jail. And he was let out. Villanova Morales left the jail in neighboring Leavenworth County on September 29th, a week before police say he caused a disturbance at the bar and returned with 23-year-old Javier Altore to shoot it up. Okay, one week before he was let out, pursuant to law, he should have been locked up for nine years. And again, See, this is not even second chances. These are guys that already had second and third chances. They violated their probation. And they still weren't locked up. Who's the other guy? Altori also had been released from jail in September across the state line, Jackson County, Missouri, where he still faces charges, still faces charges for fleeing from police in a stolen vehicle. A judge released him on his own recognizance after his attorney sought to have his bail lowered. There you go. Probation is the most common result in Kansas for a conviction involving trafficking in persons or jails imposed nearly 66% of the time over the past three years. Okay, this is Missouri. What, Trump pretty much won like every single county except for two or three? The charges Altori faced in Missouri were run-of-the-mill felony cases. According to Rodney Uphoff, a law pro- professor of the University of Missouri's flagship campus in Columbia. Um, and basically both Villanova Morales and Altori now face four counts of first-degree murder. Um, authorities arrested Altori hours after the shooting. and But the other guy is still armed and dangerous and, and is on the run. And there you go. And they go on to talk about other cases in the local area that, you know, they were let go. But this is a huge deal. It's already happening and and they think it's not enough. So Kamala Harris last night was talking about bail reform and how she worked with Rain freaking Paul on bail reform. And no one's talking about any of these cases, a mass shooting. The guy got out because of bail reform. Or even without the official reform, like in statute, they're doing it. The judges are doing it anyway, as was the case in New York. And here's the thing in New York. So we talked about how this guy who was arrested for 34 violent felonies in March was let out on uh, on six thousand dollar bond. That's before the jailbreak bill in New York 
goes into place. So where is this? Um, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to go into effect January 1st. I forgot the name of the bill. Basically, it abolishes bail for most people. I mean, unless you're picked up on murder one. Um, but again, I mean, this is the whole point. Before they commit murder one, it's usually, it's going to be assault, it's going to be second degree robbery, it's going to be trespassing, stolen vehicles, burglary, um, you know, uh, driving offenses, you know, dangerous driving offenses, obviously drugs. This is what they're caught on. And this guy was a gang member. He fit the profile. It's not like, oh, yeah, some homeless guy in the street just couldn't help himself, caught with some drugs. We're not talking about that. So no more cash bail. And guess what? I didn't even realize this. One of the facets of that bill is that um, violent criminal defendants have the right to return to the scene of crime with their counsel. Do you know what this means? And there's no exceptions. Do you know what this means? Let's say someone's accused of raping a woman inside her home. That means they get to return to the woman's home. The DA has to provide a whole case and evidence within weeks or the case is dropped. Defendants get to have access to all evidence, including names and contact info of witnesses. Gosh, the witness intimidation that's going to take place. The endless loopholes is going to be impossible to, to, um, to convict someone. The Monroe County DA, um, I, I believe that Syracuse area, uh, said that this is going to change criminal justice as we know it in, in the state of New York. So on the very issues that led to the miraculous drop in crime in New York City, they're now going the other way. Letting people out on, 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 without bail. Um, passive policing. You know, another one they're doing. Another one is, like we mentioned, not arresting people for misdemeanors. Giving citations. See, you don't always ca catch the worst gangbangers in the act of murder. They're bad dudes. They're doing punky things. You'll often catch them on misdemeanors. And that's how you preempt the bad stuff. This is the ultimate broken windows police theory. Everyone knows it works. So um, basically, where is this article? It's a whole article. Arrests for low-level crimes are plummeting, and the experts are flummoxed. Jacob Gershman, um, it was last week in the Wall Street Journal. Um, I'm reading from MSN.com, but this is a Wall Street Journal article. Major police departments around the country are arresting fewer people for minor crimes, according to a growing body of criminal justice data. New York City's misdemeanor arrest totals have fallen by half since peaking in 2010, with rates of black arrests sinking to their lowest point since 1990. Do you know what 1990 is? That's back to Mayor Dinkins. I mean... I thought we all agreed we were going to move on from that. Rudy Giuliani is in the news a lot the last couple of weeks. But the, the one thing everyone should remember from him is what he did with crime. And yet Rudy himself never speaks out about it. I bet you, given you know, all his cronyism, you know, all the money is now into jailbreak, he's probably bought into it. I mean, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I mean, everyone has gone insane. What do you think that's going to do? 
it's it's amazing. What, what what was the most notorious thing everyone talked about? You, I remember this as a kid when we would go to Manhattan, um, because I had a grandfather who moved there later in his life. He remarried, and um, uh, his second wife had an apartment there, and he moved to Manhattan. So that's the only time we ever went there. And I remember as a kid, and maybe it was you know, like 89, 90, 91, and it was I was terrified of it. You know, that's when it was really bad under Dinkins. And and you had the squeegees. They'd approach your car. I mean, that was the that was like the symbol of the crime era, even though it wasn't, you know, a terrible thing. But that was the broken windows policing. And the first thing that that Giuliani got rid of, my sister was telling me here here outside of Baltimore, just a mile away from me, she saw squeegees. I was like, holy heck. I mean, we're going, we, we never had that here. This is what we're going back to. This is the most important issue, certainly magnified, exacerbated, um, augmented by foreign national criminals and the sanctuary cities and the border problems. I mean, you put the two together, it's a public safety time bomb. It's an issue for which Republicans could run on this and only this and, and sweep almost every state. And instead, what do Republicans do? Kamala Harris is too tough on bail. She was too tough on misdemeanors. Are you kidding me? I mean, this is what we have as Republicans. These guys are mentally ill. This is the Republican Party doing this. What, what am I supposed to focus on the Democrats? Unbelievable. Let's go on here. The arrest rate for black men in St. Louis fell by 80% from 2005 to 2017. A period that saw steep declines in simple assault and drug-related offenses. That's not simple. When you, when, I mean, this is what we talk about every week with the knockout. When you're walking on the street and you can't walk without getting knocked out. I mean, that speaks to the core of why we have a government. That's not low level. See, this is the thing. See, as we noted, the uniform crime statistics are not picking up the crime wave the way the BJS um, the annual victimization survey is. Because what it's showing is the crimes are happening, but guess what? Cops are just not arresting. Because see, if you're a cop, you're faced with the following predicament. Um, either, the, 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 on the one hand, there is a tremendous pressure, don't lock people up. The prison population must, must, must go down. Even though, as you see from the numbers, the numbers have already been going down. They're acting like it's 2005. It's not. We've been, depending on which state or locality, we've been eight to 15 years into jailbreak. The trend has reversed. And they're acting as if it hasn't happened and they're coming to double dip and saying we need more jailbreak. I mean, even if you agreed with the first round, you'd be like, oh, okay, well, look, we got to let this do before we do more. No. But anyway, um, what, what the police are basically faced with is this. They, they, they don't, they're, they're, there's a stigma against locking people up. But on the other hand, no one wants, no district commander wants news that in their area crime has gone up. So what do you do? Guess what? You just don't make the arrest. Hands off. So you, you, you don't have okay, X number of arrests for burglary and assault and drugs, you just don't arrest them. So it doesn't get counted in the uniform crime statistics. That's the beauty of it. And then also, if you do arrest them, you get confronted with the violence. 
They're all on drugs, more more violent drugs than ever. They get belligerent with you, and you gotta you you get confronted. You might have to shoot the guy. By the way, that's that's another interesting thing that happened last night. This guy Yang, Andrew Yang, who's regarded as one of the more moderate Democrats. So he said last night that gun violence is also police shootings. That's that's gun violence too. They have this whole thing about police shooting unarmed blacks. You're only going to hear this here. But I, want, I, I want you to, guys to bookmark this point. Last year, according to the Washington Post that tracks this, they're very into this, there were 18 instances where, or 18 unarmed blacks throughout the country in 2018 who were killed by police. I, I believe they're fatalities. Um, I mean, it says shootings. I think it means fatal shootings. I'm not 100% sure, but let, let's just say fatal shootings. Now, we're assuming that means that the policeman's at fault. I mean, you have the famous Ferguson case where the guy was like a giant, massive, big, strong guy, like beating the hell out of the police officer, and he had to shoot the guy. So, I mean, you know, it, the notion that any of them, much less much less a majority of the 18, were like, hey, some cop was like, let me just go shoot a black person one day. Bam, bam you're dead. You know, it's not the case. But even if you bought into that, so that's 18, right? Do you know that over the same year, and I'm sure it's more this year, but in 2018, according to the FBI, 7,407 blacks were killed by homicide. And did you know? that 89% of them were confirmed killed by other blacks. I don't know how many of the remaining were Hispanic, Asian, white, but 89% by other blacks. You could shove that up your rear end. If you're going to sit and talk about, oh, you're concerned about black lives, when you're talking about 18 killed by cops, which usually there is an interaction because they were doing something wrong or downright being you know, lethal, you're focusing on those 18 and not the 7,407 who died of homicide, 89% at the hands of black offenders. Doesn't fit the narrative. But let's continue um, with this, uh, this um, Wall Street Journal article, some say the falling arrest rates signal a fundamental shift in crime prevention. The shrinking misdemeanor system, they say, is evidence that police departments are pulling back on sweeping quality of life enforcement and focusing instead on hot spots, neighborhoods, strips, and streets with clusters of gun violence and gang activity. Um, so there's that. And then they say federal investigations into policing practices in Ferguson and Baltimore and scrutiny of aggressive policing tactics like stop and frisk helped to raise the visibility of misdemeanor justice and its impact on poor minority communities. And um, most defendants charged with petty offenses serve a little or no time behind bars, but pay court fines and fees or get their cases conditionally dismissed. See, the thing is, if that were the only problem, it would be one thing, but it's not. As we report here every day, you're the most violent guys around that don't serve a day in jail. Repeat offenders, too. Um, let's see where this is. 
A December report by the Public Policy Institute of California found that misdemeanor rates in California declined by close to 60% between 1989 and 2016. Um, so there you have it with that. And uh, yeah, I mean, basically, basically, we are headed back to the 1980s. In some cities, like, um, oh, whoops. Okay, let me just go back up here. Um, compared with the felony system, misdemeanor enforcement is much less sensitive to actual crime rates and more influenced by changing political and cultural winds, says Alexandra Nadipoff, um, a University of California Irvine law professor. So that there's your answer. It's all the way at the end of the article. That's the truth. I mean, felonies also, there's many ways we, we just discussed. They, they let them out on you know pretrial bond, um, lower the bail. There's a lot of things, but it's more subject to statute. But misdemeanor, they have much more discretion where if the political wins from the political class are as such, they just won't arrest for that anymore. Former New York City Police Commissioner William Bratton likened the broken windows policing of misdemeanors to cancer chemotherapy. It was tough medicine the city needed when crime, fear, and disorder were, were rampant. Um, he said the aggressive treatment really helped the patient to get better. Well, there you go. In some cities like Seattle, progressive, progressive prosecutors have helped steepen the decline. City attorney. Peter Holmes has sought to curb law enforcement actions against lower-level street crimes, declining to prosecute homeless and mentally ill people for loitering, public urination, or open drug use, and trying to steer them into social counseling services. Folks, do you, do you want to know what's happening here? You want to talk about the homeless problem? Suddenly, the last couple of years we've been hurt, and certainly the last year or so, this acceleration of the homeless problem, particularly in the West Coast, but it's certainly in New York City as well. Okay, what is going on with that? Okay, what, what, where is this coming from? I want, I want to read to you here an article about Fresno, California, Fox 26. This is a um, brand new article from this morning. Let's be, quote, let's be honest with the people uh, sorry, let's be honest with the people because the people are not being told the truth. The truth, Fresno Council Member Gary uh, uh, Breedfeld says, is this. Homelessness is not a house crisis. It is a drug, criminal, and mental health crisis. Th th there you go. Matt Dildean says the addiction to drugs, most often meth, is what leads a person to lose everything. They're not just homeless because they are, there's a lack of affordable housing. They're homeless because they can't properly function anymore. They, uh, the criminal component of homelessness, um, Greenfeld says, boils down to bad laws being passed, like Proposition 47, which reduced some felonies to, misdemeanor, to misdemeanors. And then the misdemeanors, we don't arrest. You can go into a Walmart and steal 900 and walk out of the store. You don't go to jail anymore. He says there's also AB 109, the transfer of convicted felons from state care to county care. In addition, there's Prop 57, which grants the early release of nonviolent inmates who, are, of course, are violent. There's sex traffickers, drug traffickers, rapists, abusive spouses, even drive-by shooters, and nah, are, are now nonviolent offenders. But violence is what's happening all around the city of Fresno, and Police Chief Andy Hall says it's because no one is paying attention to mental health, the third component of homelessness, according to the city. Out of every three calls, emergency calls that my officers respond to are mental illness-related. Um, 
But notice there's the jailbreak in there as well. Breedfeld says that the U.S. laws that that the um, laws in California, man, this this article is full of typos, but uh, is what drives the homeless population to um, to what, what it is and 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 why half of the entire U.S. homeless population lives here. I guess meaning in in California. So there you have it, folks. There you have it. Think about it. Drugs. Well, where's the drugs coming from? Well, we spoke about that on Monday. Drugs is all about violent offenders. Guess which what, which violent offenders? Criminal aliens, the border, cartels. So you mix the two. It's lethal. Open borders, sanctuaries, jailbreak. That's the triple crown of anarchy in a society. There you have it. There's nothing left. We are completely screwed as a people. This is all going on in California, and Republicans are acting like, you're too tough. They should have detailed all of this. But it gets worse. Let's talk about California. Let's get this here. Um, well, we'll have some of this out later today. But um, if you look at just some of the statistics, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Something funny happens when you actually believe in something. I always wondered what would happen if we weren't a conservative soul trapped in a liberal body of the Republican Party. If we actually had a party that reflected our values, where would the electorate be? Because I think we would have much stronger talking points. The left wants to make hay of gun violence. Folks, there's a great article by Barbara Harvey of Cal Matters. Quote, California has some of the nation's strongest gun control laws, but local gun crimes are increasingly being prosecuted by federal authorities. Why? Why do the feds come in? Because the state won't do anything about them. They let them go. People with lengthy criminal records, prior convictions for crime, violence, forget it. They're let go. But I want to just show you some other statistics here. We mentioned Prop 47, where they downgraded a bunch of low-level crimes. Do you know what has happened? According to Heather McDonald of the Manhattan Institute, in the city of Los Angeles, violent crime rose nearly 20% from 2014 through 2015. Property crime was up 11%. Shooting victims were up 27%. Um, arrests were down 9%. In Santa Ana, felony crime was up 33%. Um, that year, violent crime was up 28%, property crime up 43%, robbery up 89%. In nearby Costa Mesa, violent crime increased 47%, theft was up 44%. And in San Francisco, violent crime was up 13% and property crime up 22%. Statewide, I took a look. Um, the violent crime level is, is um, 13% higher. 13% higher since 2014. The prison population has plummeted 22%, while the um, state's general population has grown 5.6%. So that means the rate is even lower. Just how bad is property crime in San Francisco? Here's the beauty. Money talks. Everything else walks. Okay, Economic decisions made by business owners are ironclad. Ironclad. A lot of people argue, no, crime is not going up. People throw different statistics. Let me give you something that, that doesn't lie. The bottom line of businesses. 
The San Francisco Chronicle reported that police records have shown that last year, 203,000 hours were logged of from off-duty overtime by police officers, five times the level of the previous year. That was a record, meaning there are more San Francisco cops doing off-duty overtime work. Why? Because businesses are hiring off-duty cops to protect them because now you can go and steal and not get any, you know, get any time or commit assault in the process and not get any time, not get arrested. And it's rampant. See what I'm saying? Like, yeah, we we, we could study criminology and, and, and academia all we want, but money talks. If businesses are suddenly hiring them in droves, and the reason they're hiring them is because private security guards usually can't, especially in California, they can't carry weapons, whereas off-duty cops can. So that's why they're hiring them. According to retired San Francisco Police Officers Association president, Martin Halloran, the increased crime, quote, goes hand in hand with the homeless problem and the drug epidemic in the city. There you go. And by the way, with Assembly Bill 109, we, we reported this in August. We, we, we had a show on this because um, that was during El Paso. And we noted how you had a guy, this gang member that stabbed two people to death. You know, again, it wasn't a gun. It was a knife. Guess what? He had a massive history. He was let out early because he was nonviolent. In 2001, there was a Supreme Court case named Brown v. Plata. The Supreme Court mandated that California basically let out 30,000 prisoners because they said there's overcrowding and it violates the Eighth Amendment's cruel and unusual punishment. Scalia called it, quote, perhaps the most radical injunction issued by a court in our nation's history. He noted that any sane court would, quote, bend every effort to read the law in such a way as to avoid that outrageous result. Alito predicted a grim roster of victims, which you're certainly seeing. And yet, friends, we have Republicans who are now taking that reality and saying it's not enough. Saying Kamala Harris was not liberal enough in California on jailbreak. You tell me how we recover as a nation if we have a Republican Party that thinks that way. Email me, dhorowitz at blazemedia.com. Tweet me at rmconservative. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Conservative Review. Like our videos. Leave a comment. Let me know. Where do I go from here? If we have Democrats that want to let out violent criminals, we have Republicans who want to let out violent criminals, where does that leave us? Who represents the sovereign American citizen that doesn't want government in our lives, but just to do its job of protecting us against you know, our border, illegal aliens, national security, and crime. Don't we matter? Isn't that a constituency? Well, I guess we just don't have enough money. We just don't matter. Hate to end off on a grim note, but we're just getting started this shorter week. We have a lot more to talk about. There's a lot going on in the courts today. Just today, there's oral arguments in the Malvo case whether to abolish life in prison without parole for juvenile murderers. This is another big one. And as we noted on our Friday show with Josh Hammer, we can't say with full confidence where Roberts, Kavanaugh, and Gorsuch are going to be 
on something that simple. We know where Alito and, and Thomas are, but that's about it. So we have a lot more going on in the courts. We have more on Turkey and Erdogan I want to talk about again. Our thesis on Syria is right. It's just that it's frustrating because Trump has always been weak on Erdogan. It's a glass jaw we don't need and shouldn't have. Trump should be able to jujitsu this. But um, we'll talk about that a little bit more tomorrow. Till then, thank you for listening. Remain vigilant. Remain safe. Keep the faith. God bless you all.